0: everyone, and welcome back. I am really excited about today's program. I'm bringing on another PR professional, and we're going to have a great discussion. My guest today is Fatou Berry. She is the founder of PR Girl Manifesto, which is a nonprofit and digital community of more than 40,000 professionals globally in the communications field. It's gonna be a great conversation. We're gonna dig into her community and how it works to reimagine the communications industry while supporting members through resources, fellowship and mentorship. And Fatou's work is influenced by her desire to bridge equity gaps for young people of color. She has created several spaces to grow and nurture this community by sharing knowledge and experience to help generate opportunities. And this also includes the launch of her other special focus, which is called Hold the Press. And I love this title a grassroots initiative that she co-founded calling for action, accountability, and transparency in the public relations industry for Black people. But Batu, it's so good to have you here. Welcome.
1: It is so great to be here. There's nothing like hearing someone talk about you or having your bio <laughs> reflected back to you. <laughs> it's yeah. weird, right? You're like, who's she talking about? <laughs> I, I'm like, oh wait, that is me. I did do that. <laughs> I love it.
0: I love it. So before we started today, I was Telling you that I've been following PR Girl Manifesto for a while, and I just kind of assumed it was a business, but it never really was a business. But let's go back to what did you do before? What is your background before starting PR Girl Manifesto and Hold the Press?
1: Yeah. So I've always worked in the communications industry. So when I started uh, PR Girl Manifesto, I was 22, fairly new to the communication, specifically the PR industry, but I'd always been in like calm adjacent roles. So what a lot of people don't know is that I started working, like actually working in the industry while I was still in college. I was was it 18? It was 18 or 19. Way back when I had a men's blog <laughs> called the Dapper ah. Indy, right?
0: <laughs>
1: yeah. Ah. Um, yeah, I just loved it. I thought I was going to be in fashion. And so I was looking for an outlet. That was the original idea. I was going to be the next Anna Wintour. Like those were my dreams. Those are good dreams. Those are great dreams. But yes, yeah, so I had a blog at the time. This is before I changed my major. And on that blog, you know, people were following me. They didn't know that it was a woman behind it, that it was a men's blog ran by a woman, but it was just a creative outlet. And what ended up happening is a senior like executive at a really big licensing company who worked in the communications department reached out and was just like, I really love this blog. I love like, you know, the content, how consistent you are with it. Have you ever considered you know, doing something in the communications industry? Have you ever thought about digital PR? Have you thought about like content? You know, I, at that time, I didn't realize that people were considering things like content curation, like writing. Like, I didn't know that those were things that were also considered or fell on the umbrella of like communications. I thought it was a scam. <laughs> oh, you did? Oh. I thought it was a scam. So I was just like very hesitant when <laughs> I responded. And I was just like, no, but, you know, thank you. And then she reached back out and she's just like, you know, we are looking for someone to basically serve as the content curator and and coordinator for one of our brands. She's like, is this something you'd be interested in? And I was just like, you know, sure, like, I'd love to learn more, but just as a heads up, like I'm a student in undergrad. She's like, no, no, that's fine. She's like, you have like the skill set that we're looking for. And that was one of the catalysts actually for me changing my major, having that experience. And then also feeling a little bit just not satisfied with the, the fashion and creative writing department it, and my undergraduate. I was like, all right, I'm going to give this you know communications thing a try. Specifically, <laughs> PR stood out to me. And so since then, I've been working in the industry since I've been about like 18, 19. And before starting PR Manifesto, when I did start it, I was working at an agency and I was struggling, like heavy struggling. Uh One, like there are a few factors. One, it was realizing that I had felt in some ways underprepared, right? For what the industry actually looked like. I think A lot of the sentiment that you'll hear among like a lot of individuals who are in communications programs is that like they learned a lot of great stuff and definitely the foundational things that are needed to succeed. But by the time you enter the industry, it's an ever evolving industry. Things have changed. Right. And so you find yourself in this space of trying to catch up to what the environment and what the expectations of your role look like. And all you really have to go by is the stuff that you learned in your undergraduate career. And when that doesn't measure up to what is actually happening, you're, you're scrambling for a bit trying to figure out what you need, what skills you need. But on the other end of that was the realization that I had entered an industry that did not, I didn't see many people that looked like me, right, Mm -hmm. in the space. I think we have made great progress since the time I entered the industry. There's still progress to be made, but it was a very, you know, for lack of a better word, it was very lily white, right, Um, Mm -hmm. when I entered this space. And I also realized that there were a lot of women, not only were there a lack of, I think, of, like, women of color in the industry, but I was realizing that we had so many women working in the industry under white men. And that was really interesting to me, because it's not something that I had heard, like, you know, explored or talked about. So you had these dynamic women who were were doing phenomenal work for their, you know, their PR firms and agencies, but like, almost always, like, at the senior level, at the C-suite level, the agency or firm was ran by or owned by a white man. And, And so there was just a lot of not feeling represented. (laughs) And (laughs) And for a very long time,
0: I don't know what the stats are now. And I'll tell you stories offline about my experience because I'm way older than you and it was pretty bad back then. But when you think about the fact that seven to eight out of 10 PR practitioners are female, and yet the majority of agencies, departments within companies are predominantly run by men, you've, you've really, really got to question that. Absolutely.
1: Yeah. They, yeah. And it was a little bit jarring because, you know, it wasn't, I didn't know that, right? I did not know that that was a thing that I would encounter. But what ended up happening is that I changed jobs I tried out different components of communications, you know, I worked in-house, but what was still consistent was this feeling of just lack, right? Lack of representation, lack of knowledge sharing, and lack of like, in many ways, diversity of thought. So when I started PR Go Manifesto, it really came out of that. Like, that's what I was working. I was experiencing so many different things. And I just realized that there was a need, not only for myself, but for, you know, people who were in the industry that were on the same, like, tradition trajectory as me to have a space right or a community yes. where you didn't have to look a certain way you didn't have to present a certain way you didn't have to assimilate to feel as though this industry welcomed you and you also didn't need to like n- other PR pros other comp pros were your enemies like there was this very mm-hmm. interesting like environment of your clients like your relationships or your relationship there wasn't a lot of I think like peer-to-peer like you know colleague-to-colleague networking or collaborative work and for me who I think I've always been a community person I've always been a like how can we do this together how can we help each other out person it was a little like unsettling I was like no like this can't be the way like if I know something like my immediate first like thought is, okay, who else might need this information, right? If I have this access, how else can I give access to someone else who might not have this? If I like, you know, if I'm learning things, if if I have a new way of doing things, if I'm realizing that, wow, developing relationships a certain way really works. Oh, when I tend to like reach out in this manner, it works like I'm sharing that with people, right? Because I want it, I want them to succeed. And when I entered the industry, it just felt like that wasn't there. And so yeah, it, it, there was a need for community. And I was like, you know what? I would love to have a place where people can just like talk to each other about what it feels like to work in this industry. They can see PR professionals that look like them, right, aren't just like, you know, a certain type of individual. They can see people that also don't look like them so that they can know that there's so much like, you know, diversity and potential. And so those are really like some of the core things that pushed me to create the community. And um, I really just wanted to create a safe space for people. I wanted to create a space where people felt like they could learn and it didn't feel like learning wasn't something that was accessible. I love that. So tell us about what PR girl manifesto
0: looked like. I know you started it in 2014. So it has a lot of legs at this point. You've been around for more than a decade. And then it evolved, and I'm not sure how recently that was. I have like no concept of time anymore. I feel like <laughs> things that were five years ago were yesterday. But tell us how it went from like this digital community to a nonprofit organization and what you're really doing now because it's so inspirational. Thank you. I
1: really appreciate that. It's been about a year. And some change now that we've been a nonprofit. Okay. Yeah. I was like, even I had to to stop and think because honestly, from 2020 on like 2020, right. Uh. One big year. There were a few things, right. That inspired and influenced me to make the transition One. I had, I'm at a place, you know, in my own professional work where I'm working with a lot of nonprofits, right? I'm in the social impact space. I have been for the last couple of years. I've been in just that world and really seeing how people are able to create, to build and to help we had a community platform people kept asking like okay what's next for it are you going to monetize it and if I'm being honest I never really felt comfortable with those questions right or thinking in that route because it was never meant to be a a thing that made me money and I say that to say communities are popular right we saw the rise of the community brand right route where all of these brands are establishing their own online communities but it's more so, It's a funnel, right? It's a way to essentially impact sales, to build brand loyalty, brand stewardship so that people are making more money. They're like their community is essentially just like consistently buying from them. And that's not what I ever intended it, you know, to be. And so for me, it was really important that no matter what the next iteration of Piago Manifesto looked like, that it was still community centered. One of my biggest non-negotiable things that I will continue to double down on is that because not everybody has the same like level of access or the same entry points, we don't have the same privileges, right? What we do isn't, you know there are other organizations that do similar work there are other like platforms that do similar work but there's a barrier of entry right there's a financial barrier of entry there Mm -hmm. is in many ways too like not just like financial but like a social capital entry right you have to know somebody who can essentially like whether it be a mentor or a sponsor who can bring you into some of these organizations or you have to pay to be a part of them. And that's making a lot of assumptions, right? About what people have and what they don't have and what they currently have accessible to them. And so monetizing in the sense of like me charging, right? For access Mm -hmm. to knowledge and for access to resources has never been a thing that I've been like interested in. However, what I learned you know, from working in the not-for-profit space and seeing how a lot of my clients manage their partnerships, right, is that there are people who are willing to support, willing to donate, and essentially willing to help you, like, meet, you know, your goals, right? And I just felt like we could do more. So, like, we were in this in-between space where we were in a business, right, but we weren't just a content, like, platform. We did things... That if you're saying you're just producing content, like we did things that fell out of that. We had opportunities for mentorship. We were sponsoring like access to events. We were collaborating with brands, right? To give our community members just like more access and more opportunity. So there was a lot that we were doing that didn't fall in the window of we're just pushing out content, but also didn't make us a business, right? Because we weren't charging people for these things, right? There wasn't a we're selling you this thing we want you to buy it no it was more so we had these opportunities we're sourcing these opportunities we're creating a platform we're in, you know we're amplifying talent that's t- typically overlooked and we're doing all these things and the model that seems the most just the right path forward right Mm -hmm. was a non-profit and I've always been very service oriented so it's really interesting to me that I actually did not make the correlation or decision earlier because I've always been somebody who has valued being of service right to other people to communities because your purpose is beyond profit I mean obviously everyone needs to make
0: money to support themselves but you have a social purpose and unlike, and this just really resonates with me, but, you know, being a conscious company and Prosper, my company is a certified B Corp. And it's really about measuring that, that triple bottom line, but I've always been drawn to the social impact. But the reality is when you're out in the world and you tell people but you're doing something not for money, but like you're giving back, you're doing things. And they're like, well, how do you make money off that? And you say, I don't. You, you get looked at like you're crazy. You
1: it's the first question that people ask. And it's so, because it, it, it doesn't, it never crossed my mind. I think there was also a point in like the development of all this that I was like, well, am I doing it wrong? You know, and I'm not because what you mentioned about having a purpose, right? Like mm-hmm. this- what we do, like in many instances, we're the catalyst for someone's career, right? Changing. We, If we connect someone to the right person, if we give them the right information, the right access, like all of these things, like we have the power to impact someone's career for the better. Like that is what fulfills me. That is what brings me so much joy. Like when we have people reach out to us and they're like, you know, thank you so much for doing this because- You know, I'm learning, but outside of my classes, like I haven't really found a resource that that is accessible to me. And PR Girl Manifesto does that. Like that is the profit for me. Like that's who, that's the game. Exactly. Yeah.
0: That's so good. So tell people who are listening, who are
1: in communications or PR, how they can support
0: PR Girl Manifesto.
1: Yes, of course. So, you know, what we, for communications pros, like uh, my biggest thing is always like, Yes, you know, we have the traditional, you can donate, but it's not that, right? Like one right. of our biggest pillars is amplifying content that already exists. We love to be in collaboration with com professionals, we love network sharing, and we're always looking for people to volunteer, right? So like, if you want to facilitate programming, right, we have a bunch of professional development series, the PR power hour, we have lunch and learns, we have You know, guest speaking like PD sessions where we are just looking and wanting to connect with com professionals who want to give back to the next generation, and not even the next generation, right? And let's say individuals who might have like like a non linear pathway into the com industry as well. We have a mentorship program where we are always, always seeking mentors. So volunteering as a mentor is also a way that individuals can support. And and I think what we've been seeing too is like, if your agency, right, is looking to take on interns, if your agency is interested in like exposing like the work that you do to others, like we're all for that too. And so we've been in more recent years, like you know, behind the scenes doing a lot of like talent matching too, right? Of like I making- saw that. Talk a little bit about that because I think that's really a needed resource. Absolutely. So what what I tend to find is that for a multitude of reasons, it's hard, right? It's hard for a lot of individuals who might be looking for new positions might be you know or new to the space to find job opportunities that align with like what they're looking for and so for us, the talent matching, you know, what I love about the community is that we build such close relationships, right? That like it's a different type of relationship. And I, as I reflect on it, I'm like, oh, wow, that's really special. When an agency can like reach out to you and be like, hey, we're looking for interns and we're looking to fill this position and specifically reach out to you because they know the demographic of people that you reach, right? The type of people that they want working for them. And they know like what type of audience you're cultivating. And And so we have a lot of resumes and a lot of like, you know, people who are open for work, right? Who reach out to Mm -hmm. us, like, hey, these are the things, like, these are the type of opportunities that we're looking for. So whenever an agency comes to us, whether it be like, hey, we're looking for to like, you know, to hire someone internally, right? Where if you have Mm -hmm. any recommendations, we give them access to our talent database, Right that has a network of individuals who are currently looking for work. And we essentially like we give them that and we're like, you know, you can look through here, you can sort through here. But then we also have the external component where like agencies are like, hey, we'd like to, you know, share this job opening. And we want to make sure that we share it with you before we put it on any like, you know, a LinkedIn, right, or any other type of public job network, because we know that the PR Go Manifesto community, these are the type of individuals that we want. And It's helpful because I think what it does is a lot of our agency partners are like are for agencies that we'd actually want to work at right so we're not setting people up to go work or giving them places to work at that we don't believe are good places to work at yeah. and it's a really like special just a special process to be able to support someone in that then to have them be like oh yeah you know like thank you for for making that intro or thank you for passing this along or thank you for giving us talent to pick from and seeing those individuals still work there
0: And I love that. And I guess so when people come to you, do you find that they're specifically looking to add talented people of color to their agency?
1: We have. Yeah. So I'd say we have talented people of color, I think, specifically while our community, because this is always a point of like just clarification yeah. While our community is called the PR Girl Manifesto, right, sometimes yeah. people think that we're only catering to those, you know, people who identify as women, but we have such a diverse community network. So when people are coming to us, they're not just looking for people who I think, you know, are people of color. They're looking for people, you know, who even like People who are differently abled, right? People who have like diverse backgrounds in their c- career trajectory, and I think that's why people come to us. Not necessarily because, you know, we of course our network is made up of a lot of like people of color, and I think that is due to the fact that like I've always been intentional, right? Yeah, you're rolling t- out
0: the red car- carpet that says we understand that you've been underrepresented and underserved, yeah. and. And we want to change that. So, yeah. And I would think that was my, what prompted my question. I would think that that would not only attract not only people of color, but white people who think, hey, that's really cool. That's something that I've noticed. And, you mm-hmm. know, I want to be part of that in whatever way it looks like, but also hopefully the agencies or businesses that would come to you to recruit is like, yeah, these people have different experiences. That's why they're attracted to you. Mm-hmm. And they recognize that you're somebody that they want in their, you know, in their network. And we want those kinds of people that have these different experiences and perspectives to be in, be involved with our companies and agencies because what those different perspectives around
1: a table are what make all the difference. Absolutely. And I think it's so important. And what I love about it too, is like, so tip, something that I even experienced when I was working is that like people very much consider certain demographics of people for like very niche positions. Right. So like all I do, multicultural, like PR, right. And what I (laughs) write because you're a person. of Praise for taking
0: one step, but it's, it's actually a little cringeworthy because if someone came to me and said, you're a white woman over 50, we want you to run the white
1: women over 50 group in our company. I'd be like, what? Right, right. And so I think what I really appreciate about the way that our talent matching and our job boards and that, you know, aspect of our work, like works is that like individuals get access to so many more opportunities, right? Like, yeah. And I think that's important. And I love that we're able to do that. Like, I love that we those are not just the positions that people are coming to us to be like, hey, like your support in finding talent for this. And so that really makes you happy.
0: I love that. I love that so much. That's great. So tell us, let's pivot over to hold the press. Yes. Can you tell me a little bit about how that started and what you're doing there?
1: Yeah. So hold the press was like born. Yeah. But it's been two. It's been wow. No, it's been three years. So hold the press is founded in 2020. And while PR Girl Manifesto, you know, always have been an advocate for representation for equality and and equity for everyone. Mm -hmm. Hold the press is very specific in the fact that it was born out of like the summer of 2020, right? After seeing the you know, the highly publicized yes. you know, murders of George Floyd, Ahmaud Arbery, and Breonna, Breonna Taylor. Taylor. Yeah. And, you know, that was the summer that the Black Lives Matter movement was like lit on fire. And I think so many people were like, essentially like, oh, you know, a fire lit underneath them. And so what we were seeing, myself and my three co-founders, this is something that I built in, in collaboration with others, is that specifically in the communications and the PR industry, right? Yeah. that We were seeing so many agencies and so many firms and brands put out messages, right? About solidarity with the Black Lives Matter movement when the reality is that for a lot of these agencies that like in practice, Black employees were underrepresented and, and marginalized. And I think what was really upsetting for us was the reality that like, as PR professionals, like as com professionals, like we know what to say, we're advising people on like statements to put, we know how to essentially, like mold words, right? to get a message or a point across. And it felt so performative to know that agencies were putting out information or putting out word like words of solidarity when in like reality they didn't have any black people, right? Working within their agency or working within their firms. And so for us, it, you know, it was a moment that we were like, all right, we're gonna like, it's time for us to be accountable, right? And how can we improve something if we're not acknowledging it? And so What we did was like all of the brands, right, that had posted uh, words of solidarity or just, you know, supporting, saying that they supported the Black Lives Matter movement. We asked them to share their diversity data, right? We all knew that when it comes to like diversity breakdowns, we know that there's a, a diversity problem in the PR industry. What we didn't realize were how many firms and agencies were just not tracking diversity data, like at all. And so when we asked for organizational diversity breakdowns and we asked for like the number of employees who were Black, the number of employees who were people of color in executive roles, we got a lot of pushback because people didn't want to publish the data that they knew that they didn't have. And so the ask was for that. It was for the current number of client accounts and for the action plans going moving forward to propel Black. Black people and people of color in the office. And so when we we had even made requests, right? So we had even given them some recommendations like, you know, you can visit historically Black colleges, right? And expand your recruitment to top tier talent, like beyond the top 10 HBCUs. Like you can develop a training program. If your agency had less than 30% of like Black men and women, people of color in executive roles, like, you know, what were the ways that you could restructure, right? Maybe you could develop support and fund more employee research groups. So we were given, what we thought, you know, were action plans or steps that agencies and firms could take. Of all of the organizations that reached out, a small percentage actually got back to us, like responded with even acknowledgement of our email. And then, you know, there were those who did support and, and did share their data because the first part in accountability is transparency, right? Isn't all of us like being on the same page. And that's what we were lacking is like even the tone-deaf statements, the messages of solidarity, like they weren't being transparent to what the reality of the situation or what the reality of the industry actually was. Got it. Yeah.
0: So what are you doing now? I saw that there's even a, a job or a position link on there. What? How are you planning to grow that?
1: Yeah. So what we want to do is not just focus, I think, on like, asking for diversity data and like that just be it, right? Like we recognize that there's opportunity to just make the industry better as a whole through some of the work that we do. So our job board is essentially, what we're working to do is find like agency partners, right? Who do meet the some of the standards and commitments like places that we believe are good places for people of color and black people to work at, right? Um, Mm -hmm. And be able to source opportunities through the job board so that it's not just like, hey, if you have an opening, we're giving you access. No, it's like, hey, we're making sure that the companies and the brands and the agencies that we're working with are actually good places to work at for Black people. And so that's our hope with the job board. And that's what we're working towards. We've also cultivated opportunities for just to amplify, right, Black talent, we have we have a video series called black in pr where we talk to black comm professionals we talk about their experiences we talk about their hopes for the industry and just in an effort to make sure that like if the industry continuously like continues to like overlook this talent that there's a place where they're being recognized and that their work is being amplified and being shared with the larger industry
0: so let me ask you this After all of this that we talked about and all that you shared that I know to be true, do you still love the field
1: of PR? I do. I do. I think PR continues to evolve, right? It's evolving. It's taking on so many different forms. But I do. So like one of the things that really did, I think, cement this, like the industry for me is that in so many ways, I feel like we're dream like makers, right? Yeah. Uh, Like we have an opportunity to help someone's dream come true by making sure their story is being told in the right way to the right people, to the right audiences. And I think there's something just so beautiful in being like the catalyst for that. Right. I love that. Yeah. I mean, I love it. I love it for that. I love it for I think as it continues to grow. The ways too in which I always say this when I'm talking among like, you know, other people in the industry and colleagues is that like, if anything, like as communicators, like we are the people that like have so much, I think, impact right Mm -hmm. on the stories that are being told on what people are paying attention to. And so we play a really important role that I think sometimes gets downplayed, right? Because right. while you know a platform might is the medium through which it goes through, the story right. is told and is crafted and is put together like PR and comp professionals. And so I think it's a responsibility that I love that we have. And I like those are the things about the industry that like there's work to be done, but it's an industry that I'm proud, you know, to be a part of.
0: Yeah, well, you're certainly influencing it. So Fatou, we'll put links to your sites in the show notes. But I also, you know, want to ask, is there... Anything that you would ask of listeners who may be in the comms industry, is there like something that they can do as soon as they listen to this, whether it's checking out your site or maybe signing up to be a mentor or whatever that is that you could really use support on right now?
1: Yes. I think for right now, what we're really trying to do is like make sure that we're cultivating the right resources, right? For our community. Mm -hmm. We love collaborating. Like when I say it is the foundation of like everything that we do, we love to collaborate. And we're really looking to make sure that we're amplifying as much, I think, talent and resources as we can. So if you want to host a professional development session, if you want to contribute, you know, like just thoughts, right, that you think, other individuals would benefit from in the industry like you want to create content we are such collaboration people and I think that's the biggest thing for me would be like if you even have an inkling that you'd want to support or that you'd want to knowledge share like to reach out because we can work (laughs) and figure it out together but we're really just wanting to make sure that that we're again we're building out like a robust like just repository of talented communications professionals, uh, of resources that our community can benefit from.
0: I love that. I love that. So I did give you a little heads up that I always end my interviews with the same question. This is called the Prosper Project. And it's really about what we were talking about, that there is one way, more than one way to measure success and what it means to prosper. So what does it mean for you to
1: prosper? I think for me, It means if I am helping others, right, for me, that like I'm prospering if no matter what I'm doing, whether it be work, whether it be life, if I am doing something that makes other people happy, that makes life better for other people, right, Mm -hmm. or supports others like in a way that's positive, I Consider myself to be prospering. That's what it means to prosper for me. I think that it's it's hard because it's not really something that's like like that's quantitative, right? Like how do you you can't measure it. No, Uh, that's what I love though because everyone has their own definition,
0: and you know I'm always hoping our listeners will resonate with this speaker and say, well, this is what my path could look like, or someone else inspires them, like in your case, to get more involved and say, oh, you know. I could share content. I could give a presentation. I'd love to support this organization.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. I think for me, if you, if I'm doing good work and the good work is positively like affecting people, I'm I'm prospering. Yeah. I love it.
0: Tattoo Berry, PR Girl Manifesto, Hold the Press. Thank you so much for being with us today. We'll have links to your sites in the show notes and how people can
1: reach out to get involved and support your efforts. Amazing. Thank you so much for having me. I have enjoyed this conversation. It's great to talk to somebody who also gets it. So there's that added layer of like, yes, no, we're in the same industry. <laughs> you are. Yes.
0: Yes. And we care about that social perspective and social impact. So good talking with you. I have a feeling this conversation will continue. Thank you so much for tuning into this episode of The Prosper Project. If you want to grow a peerless, profitable brand, please hit the subscribe button so you never miss an episode. And if you find value in our show, please help us reach others by sharing an episode and leaving a review. In appreciation, please visit prosperforpurpose.com for more free resources to help you grow your business.